Chapters twenty nine and thirty of One Life, One Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty nine. Cruel as the grave. Leon Duverdi and his cousin were alone in the drawing room. Through the draped opening of the large central window, the dimly lighted marquee loomed shadowy, and the tropical foliage had a sombre air. The fountain had left off playing, the electric light had been turned off in all three tents, and the long vista of palms and flowers and tapestry and velvet-curtained archways took a funereal aspect, lighted only by a few small clusters of wax candles placed here and there amidst the foliage. Dolores looked at her cousin, stifled a yawn, and walked slowly towards the bell beside the chimney-piece. "'I am sure you don't expect me to be inclined for conversation at this late hour, Léon,' she said coldly so if you'll allow me i'll order your carriage please don't take that useless trouble i have no carriage i came in a cab and dismissed it i shall walk back to my hotel you are not at your old address no i am staying at the hotel st lazare for a night or two i am only in paris as a bird of passage i sail next week from havre for buenos aires i hope you will be more fortunate there than you appear to have been here said dolores calmly he was dumbfounded by the coolness of her reply could so brief a separation have worked such a change in the woman who only a few months ago had obviously adored him he was silent for some moments the tone of his reply was constrained i congratulate you on the wisdom of your course since i left paris he said you have only followed my advice i often told you that perez was devoted enough to marry you if you played your cards properly yes he is devoted which is strange and i am grateful which may seem even more extraordinary and you are happy i suppose yes i am actually happy but i hardly realized it till to-night how pleasant it is to be the wife of a millionaire i am glad you have found out the value of wealth and that your experience has been on the sunny side of the question and not its dark side i know the value of money from the lack of it but i am now on a sure road to fortune i have a better chance and a finer opening in brazil than i ever had in my life i congratulate you said dolores but i cannot grasp this golden opportunity without a certain capital in hand money makes money dolores a man must sow the golden seed if only a handful of gold dust before he can reap the golden harvest fortune is at my door if i can let her in but i must first find the key that will open the door your conversation really abounds in allegories replied dolores but though the variations are new the tune is always the same no leon i cannot provide you with the capital for your brazilian venture i mean to be a loyal wife to pedro perez and i will do nothing underhand or secret nothing that would awaken one jealous doubt in his mind i know enough of his character to know that with him jealousy would be terrible then you will do nothing for me you are wallowing in wealth and you will not lift your finger to help me oh yes i will do much more than lift my finger your new venture is to be made in south america where my husband is a power he knows every inch of the country every speculation and enterprise that has been made there i will introduce your scheme to him and ask him to help you and you think he will help me yes when i plead for you i cannot wait for such a slow process as that dolores 
i know what these old men are and how long they deliberate before they will trust a young man with a thousand pounds sterling even if he could buy the philosopher's stone for the money and offer to share the profits of the transaction i want money at once dolores can't you understand that two or three hundred pounds to-night would be worth a thousand next week and i know you must have as much as that i have not the tenth part of two hundred pounds answered his cousin coolly i have everything in the world i can wish for but since i have been pedro's wife i have had hardly any money i am madame perez the name is enough i can order anything i want from any tradesman in paris and my name is all i need give in exchange pedro pays my bills as fast as they come in i have nothing to do with money so you see if i were ever so willing to help you i couldn't do it there was a pause during which the man who called himself leon du verdier took two or three turns up and down the room in troubled meditation then he stopped suddenly and confronted dolores with a frowning brow it is mere idle sophistication to talk to me in this strain he said you can help me if you like and you know it if you have not bank-notes or gold you have money's worth you have jewels which i could turn into immediate cash at the mont de piete i only ask for the loan of a few of your gewgaws those you value least that i may raise money upon them for a month or so i will remit the money to a friend in paris as soon as i am in funds and the jewels shall be safely delivered into your own hands at the hour and place which you yourself shall appoint will that do for you no it will not i will not trust you with one of my husband's gifts indeed i dare not pedro remembers every jewel he ever gave me and asks me from time to time to wear particular ornaments i should be disgraced if i could not comply with his request the argument which followed was long and angry leon grew desperate and he found dolores firm in her refusal you had better not goad me too far he hissed in her ear as she shrank from him with her back against the angle of the low marble mantelpiece and her hand stretched towards the bell it is a very small thing i have asked of you yet the consequences of your refusal may be more disastrous than you can foresee i may be tempted to throw up the sponge and to let the world know some secrets in my life and your mother's share in them that revelation would be a worse disgrace for you than the loss of a diamond necklace he was gone leaving dolores mystified by his parting words but not greatly alarmed it seemed to her that those words were an idle threat and that all she had to do was to stand firm in her duty to her husband who was powerful enough to protect her from her kinsman's malice there was nothing in her past relations with leon which could bring evil to her in the future she had loved him with a sentimental girlish fancy which had been fostered by the monotony of her secluded existence now that she had begun to taste the sweets of life and to understand the omnipotence of wealth she looked back and wondered at her girlhood's idle fancy how could i have ever been blind to his selfishness and meanness she wondered when the outer door had closed upon her cousin it was four o'clock upon a winter morning the last faint glow had faded out of the logs and dolores shivered in her splendour as she surveyed her dazzling image in the vast sheet of glass behind the low jardiniere filled with hyacinths and narcissus the image which met her gaze was radiant with gems and brilliant colouring but the face under the jewelled turban was pale and weary it has been a long long night she thought but at last i have made my debut in parisian society 
perez peru's wife is no longer a person to be hidden in an obscure lodging the servants who had been supping luxuriously in their own quarters now appeared sober and serious of aspect apparently intent upon the safe adjustment of locks and bolts and the putting away of stray valuables the last glimmer of light had been extinguished in the marquise and to-morrow morning all that fairy scene would be taken to pieces like a child's puzzle and carted away while the rock's egg-lamp would be sold at a sacrifice to some enterprising proprietor of cafe or music-hall the footman drew aside the plush curtains and shut the wide plate-glass window which fastened in the usual manner of french casements and it may be that under the influence of truffled turkey and champagne he was somewhat uncertain in twisting the long brass bolt into its socket is all safe asked dolores listlessly as she took up her ostrich fan and moved slowly towards the door yes madame then you may go to bed all of you madame will require the services of elise at her toilette not to-night tell her to bring me my chocolate at ten to-morrow morning and on no account to disturb me before that hour now that the tension of supreme excitement was relaxed dolores felt tired to death she had been moving about among her guests and talking and laughing at every sally of wit or journalist artist or actor for five mortal hours to say nothing of those three quieter hours during which she had presided at her husband's dinner-party she could hardly crawl upstairs to her luxurious bedroom and she was far too weary to submit to the somewhat oppressive attentions of a highly trained lady's maid a maid who had lived but lately with haggard old age which required to be put together bit by bit and composed and painted into a ghastly semblance of youth and beauty she had but just strength to unclasp her jewels her necklace of matchless pearls the stars and clusters and hearts and horseshoes of diamonds emeralds and sapphires which studded her bodice the crescents which flashed from her dark hair she was just able to take off all these splendours and to drop them in a careless heap upon her dressing-table and then she exchanged her silken garment for a loose muslin peignoir threw back the satin-covered eiderdown and flung herself upon her bed overcome with sleep all was still upon that upper floor pedro perez was sleeping the tranquil slumber of the man who knows that all his investments are safe and that some of them are yielding him fifteen per cent madame quijada was sleeping the heavy sleep of senses stupefied by chloral the servants had crept up to their attics in the italian roof that these cubicula were cold in winter and hot in summer had but little disturbed the repose of the architect who planned the villa and on all eyelids in the house sleep lay heavy save in that one modest chamber where louise marcet lay in her narrow bed and turned upon her pillow from time to time in the long intervals between her brief slumbers the time was when the tired work-girl's night had been a night of a single sleep but since that malady in which reason had been nearly wrecked in the agonized brain louise had never known what it was to enjoy long and tranquil slumbers to-night her nerves had been shaken by the noises within and without the house the din of talk and laughter the rattle of silver and glass the loud music of a brass band playing waltzes and mazurkas the sound of singing and the roll of carriage-wheels gaiety of this kind had lost all fascination for her she had never tasted such pleasures and she had no curiosity about that brilliant world of the rich and well-born in which she had had no part her day of happiness had been as brief as a butterfly's summer her pleasures had been of the simplest she had known the passion of love only in its most ideal aspect she had never been sickened by the reverse of the picture the man she had exalted into a hero had been her hero to the end of his life 
and her regret for him was so much the keener that she had never had cause to doubt his honour or his worthiness to be loved thus the girl's innocent love of a summer day had become the settled worship of a lost lover and the woman's heart was dead to all but the broken dream of the love-sick girl darkness closed round the villa in the bois in those chill hours between night and morning bitter cold in the garden outside but tempered within these walls by the calorifere in the basement there were only two lamps burning in the house one the coloured glass lantern in the hall where the lowered gas gave a subdued glimmer that made the shadows blacker on the staircase and landing the other the little antique silver lamp that hung above the bed where dolores lay in the happy sleep of youth and health and a heart at ease not a sound in that sleeping household save the striking of various clocks with more or less musical chime five o'clock yes there is another sound as the hammer falls on the gong for the fifth time there is a sound of a window opening softly and slowly on the ground floor then a pause and then the cautious opening of a door another pause and again another sound the stealthy tread of lightly shod feet on the velvet pile of the staircase louise marsay hears those sounds faintly in her sleep are the servants going down already it is early for them considering the lateness of the hour at which they went to rest she is sleeping somewhat more deeply than usual worn out by the noises that kept her awake till an hour or so ago it is her habit to rise when the servants go down in the morning to be as early as the earliest of the household and to see that the day's work is begun betimes but this morning her senses are dull she mixes the sounds of those footsteps with a confused dream of the past it is a summer sunday morning and her kindly neighbour is coming to call her that she may be up and dressed and away to the station of st lazare to meet the kindly englishman for that promised excursion to marly le roi fond dream of days long vanished fancy bridges the dismal gulf of years and the grave where her lover lies and she hears his voice and sees his face again just as she heard and saw him more than twenty years ago suddenly the face fades the voice is silent she starts up in her bed shuddering her blood turned to ice at the sound of a woman's shriek either of fear or pain she springs from her bed throws on the peignoir that lies ready in the chair close by and moves out to the landing and to her cousin's room the door is open and in the dim light of the night lamp she sees a white figure lying on the carpet face downwards and standing by the dressing-table she sees her brother engaged in thrusting the heaped-up jewels into his pockets while she pauses in the doorway transfixed he crams the last of the ornaments out of sight and turns to leave the room without one glance at the prostrate form near the bed he recoils with an angry oath at the sight of louise stand out of the way he says savagely or i'll settle you as i've settled her thief murderer bosh she's only stunned it'll be worse for you than for her if you don't hold your tongue let me pass i say not with those jewels in your possession she says facing him fearlessly before he can prevent her she has locked the door and put the key in her pocket thief and murderer your first crime has gone unpunished because my voice has not been lifted up against you but there shall be no second crime that i can hinder i am trusted in this house and i mean to protect my cousin's property if you have killed her your life shall pay for hers you shall not leave this room till you have given up those jewels and until i see if she is living or dead she moves towards the figure on the ground and as she does so he looks round and grasps the situation there is no other way out of the room 
the only other door stands wide open revealing the interior of a bathroom in which there is no door only a great marble bath and white panelled walls he grasps louise by the shoulder and snatches the key from the wide pocket of her dressing-gown stand aside and keep a quiet tongue in your head he whispers threateningly and then as she clings about him clutching the collar of his coat holding him with all the force of excitement that has reached fever pitch he sees her head flung back and her lips parting in a cry for help another instant and she will raise the house a cruel blow from his clenched hand stifles the cry upon her whitening lips and then the same deadly hand snatches a knife from his breast pocket a knife that opens with a spring a thrust and another and then he grows mad with rage the blind unreasoning fury of a savage beast as the lips still strive to cry aloud and the eyes still stare at him wildly and the clinging hands still hold him and so another and yet another thrust of the murderous knife till one last gurgling sound escapes from those distorted lips the stare grows fixed and dull the fingers loosen and the bleeding form falls at his feet he unlocks the door and runs downstairs splashed with her blood a sister's life-blood and creeps out by the way he came in stealing through the empty tents spurning the fading flowers as he dashes out into the cold night through the silken draperies that mark an opening in the canvas he did not mean murder when he entered the house least of all a sister's murder but he meant plunder and he has secured the booty at daybreak he will leave for dunkirk from dunkirk to holland where he will dispose of the gems minus their delicate tiffany settings just at the last moment he remembers that he must hide the blood upon his clothes the stains are darkest and biggest upon his shirt and waistcoat as his victim clung about him in the death struggle he creeps back into the house finds some overcoats hanging in a vestibule and takes an inverness which is just long enough to hide his figure to the knees this precaution is unlucky for in going out into the garden he falls into the arms of a gendarme who riding quietly by in the night silence had noticed the opening of the little door in the marquee the gendarme dismounts and waits to see who will emerge from that mysterious little door at a quarter past five in the morning and so leon duverdier alias claude morel falls into the clutches of the law and is shut up au secret in a felon cell to be taken out at intervals and interrogated by the juge d'instruction and before night all paris knows that there has been a daring robbery and a brutal murder in perez perouse villa that the beautiful madame perez had been struck to the ground senseless in the attempt to protect her matchless jewels from a burglar and lies in a precarious condition and that poor old perez is half mad with grief and anxiety thirty daisy's diary it is almost a month since i last opened this book a month which has brought me daily nearer and nearer in union with him who is to share all my life and whom i am to love and obey yes obey the word suggests not the faintest sense of humiliation i am proud to have a master such a master i never had that kind of feeling with my poor dear cyril on the contrary i felt as if he had been given to me as my slave a person to order about for the first few days after that terrible revelation about my stepfather i kept my ghastly secret i could not trust even him who i had trusted with my whole heart and my whole life i feared that if i told gilbert my conviction of ambrose arden's guilt if i showed him how link by link the chain of circumstantial evidence could be put together until the circle was complete he might consider it his duty to bring about a public investigation and thus condemn my mother to the horror of knowing what manner of man she had married 
but after torturing myself for those few days of puzzled thought and nights of feverish unrest i could bear my burden no longer gilbert saw that there was something amiss with me that even his presence could not make me happy and he urged me to confide in him and so i told him all the dismal story and my reasons for believing that my father's murder had been plotted by his friend i could see by his darkening countenance as he listened that he was of my opinion but he answered gravely and deliberately your theory is plausible daisy yet there is no incident in life which may not bear a double interpretation i certainly believe duverdier to be the murderer as surely as i believe him to be claude morel under another name and granting that he is the guilty man it is assuredly a strange thing that he should dog your stepfather's footsteps in this quiet place and that your lover should renounce the happiness of his life and go into exile after overhearing a conversation between his father and that man the links are strong links but the evidence is not of a kind that would be accepted in a court of law and i doubt if the law will ever touch the man whose moral guilt granting him guilty is greater than the guilt of the shedder of blood i don't want the law to touch him i don't want my mother ever to know how cruelly she has been cheated and deceived i only want you to understand the horror of it all and that this man with whom i have to live in daily friendship or the appearance of friendship is of all men upon earth the most abhorrent to me half the weight of my burden was lifted off my shoulders after i had shared my trouble with gilbert he is so wise so thoughtful so just and temperate in his judgments he would not allow that the case was established against that wretched man it was a case for grave doubt he told me the circumstances were full of darkest suspicion but it would be dangerous to condemn a fellow-creature above all a friend to whom i owed so much upon such evidence i shuddered at the word friend oh i was so fond of him once i said i used to sit upon his knee and put my arms round his neck i called him uncle because i could not bear to think that he was not related to me i used to run from my father to him and one was almost as dear to me as the other and now to know that he is utterly base false and cruel inexorably cruel cruel as death itself we know nothing daisy said my dearest in his calm grave voice there is nothing absolute or conclusive in all your evidence the signs of trouble of mind which you have noticed in your stepfather may be only the indications of physical disease we must wait and watch if need be and whether this dire suspicion of yours be brought more fully home to us or whether we have reason to doubt the grounds upon which it rests there is at least one point upon which we have no hesitation the knowledge of evil must be kept from your mother i was inexpressibly comforted by his counsel and felt that i could better endure to live in the same house with my stepfather i even began to falter somewhat in my judgment of him and had it not been for the mystery of cyril's conduct which i could account for in no other manner i might have thought myself the victim of a delusion cruel alike to me and to the man whom i suspected but i could not forget the evidence of cyril's face which told of dire calamity or the stern resolve with which he cancelled the bond between us his tone and manner were those of a man who was fulfilling a painful duty who submitted himself to a cruel destiny nor was there other and nearer evidence wanting in my stepfather's manner to me after the change in my manner to him which must have been obvious although i set a watch upon myself always in my mother's presence on the rare occasions when mr arden and i were alone together i maintained a resolute silence and on no such occasion did he ever question me as to my altered bearing 
it seemed to me that he submitted to our estrangement as a part of his doom and that he tacitly accepted my condemnation of him not by one word or look did he ever seek to evoke the old tenderness of our relations he who until a few weeks ago had been to me as a second father was content to become a stranger and to endure the insult of my sullen silence content also to play the hypocrite in his wife's presence and to affect that he and i were on the old affectionate terms when mother asked me to play to him he praised my playing and asked for this or that sonata or set of variations oh what a dreadful life it would be if it were not for the comfort and support my true lover has given me throughout this trial and all this time there has been an air of gaiety at riverlawn and mother and gilbert and i have been full of preparations for the great change in our lives it will not be such a change for mother and me though as it might have been under less blessed conditions for i shall be her next-door neighbour and shall be running in and out of the dear home garden every day and she can run into my gardens and the ever lovely and beloved arbour where my sovereign lord and king first declared his love can be common ground for both of us i shall keep copies of my most adorable poets there and a sketching-block and colour-box and gilbert shall have a box of cigars or cigarettes in the handy little cupboard where i used to keep my toy cups and saucers when i was a child no my wedding-day will bring no severance between mother and me and by and by when the end which i foresee shall come and the shadow is lifted from her life i shall have that dear mother all to myself again as i had in the tranquil years of her widowhood it is wicked perhaps to take comfort in the thought of any one's death yet can i wish a traitor's life to be prolonged can i fail to see the hand of god in that gradual darkening of the gloom which encircles him the gradual working of that slow poison we call remorse again there has been talk of my trousseau and this time mother has not found me cold or indifferent i have taken a keen delight in everything especially the house linen about which i am as earnest as if i had spun it myself like an industrious swedish or norwegian maiden and had hoarded it in great oaken presses to await my betrothal i am delighted to say that gilbert's hereditary linen closet exhibits a vast collection of rags beautiful irish damask tablecloths with the florestan coat of arms woven in the fabric smooth and lustrous as satin but as transparent as gauze when the good old housekeeper held them up to the light single gentlemen never do think of such things she said apologetically i've told mr florestan often and often that new tablecloths were wanted but he always forgot to order them and then he was here so seldom and that made him careless about the house of course i cried what should he know about tablecloths and then mother and i held a grand consultation and selected the loveliest patterns and sent off a big order to a firm in belfast and i felt that i was encouraging the manufactures of the sister isle there are irish poplins in my trousseau too soft lustrous delicious warm and substantial wear for my winter honeymoon mother thinks of everything seasons and occasions comfort and dignity without folly or extravagance my trousseau will be perfect worthy to be exhibited as an example of sterling british common sense as opposed to french frivolity and american ostentation we are to go to the south for our honeymoon but not straight away to fashionable cannes or cosmopolitan nice we are to go first to bordeaux and then to pau and biarritz and afterwards to toulouse carcassonne nimes arles and so on by easy stages to marseilles and thence to cannes just to wind up with the prince of wales week and the dances at the two clubs 
i shall be an old married woman by that time capable of chaperoning my unmarried cousins if they should happen to be at cannes with my aunt just then they generally go south in early spring and leave the doctor to make money in harley street they all came down to riverlawn last week to congratulate me upon my promotion as flora called it and they all aunt included seem to think i have done a grand thing in getting myself engaged to gilbert florestan not because he is rich explained flora for measured by our modern necessities he is little better than a pauper but because he is unmistakably county your relations never need be ashamed of him that is a comfort said i enraged at her impertinence but i hope you don't suppose i accepted gilbert in order to gratify my relations or come up to the requirements of harley street i did not accept him because he is county and i should have been just as deeply in love with him if he had been a beggar ah uh, you may think so and most engaged girls talk in that style said flora but i have never heard of anybody in society marrying a beggar since the time of king cofetua and no doubt he was sorry for it afterwards these cousins of mine are the very essence of worldliness and i seldom stoop to argue about matters of feeling with either of them they have been on the point of making great matches ever since they were presented but the business has always stopped short of actuality and aunt emily says that marriage from a lady's standpoint will soon become impossible it is easy enough for an only child like you she said of course you are anybody's money but my poor girls have nothing but their beauty and their accomplishments and men nowadays are utterly sordid this was a speech which would have made me wretched were it possible for me to doubt my true lover but all the discontented mothers in england might hint and insinuate for a live-long summer day without ruffling my great content my heart so far as gilbert is concerned is as placid as a summer lake encircled by mountains End of chapters 29 and 30